Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. We are in Ephesians. We're, we're going through the book of Ephesians right now. And last week we talked about uh, the beginning of Ephesians. When we got through one and two, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up, up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let me stop right there and pray before we get going. Father, I thank you for this time, for your word. God, as we dive into your word, I pray you give us clarity. You give us wisdom. God, we'd have hearts to receive what you're speaking to us. Lord, that we'd clear our minds of all that stuff. And just put it to the side for a moment that we might hear from you, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week was about being an imitator of God. But he says in there, he says, therefore be imitators of God. And that therefore is therefore the enlightenment of Ephesians the week before in verse 4. And, and, and the week before was about living the life of Christ. And th- then he says, once you understand the life of Christ, and he says, imitate God in what you do. So the Bible is, is, is built a letter on upon letter upon a letter. And it gives us instructions for life. And Paul makes five specific declarations that we talked about last week. It's important to set the stage with that because it sets into this week. And he said this in the openings of chapter 5. Be imitators of God as a child. You're a child of God. He says, walk in love. Then he says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And he said, this is the fragrant offering that, uh, and sacrifice to God. It's funny, that, you know, we do these little reels. Has anybody seen the reels we do? We started doing, Seth does them. He does a great job. If you've seen one, they come up on Facebook and different things like that. But, but people can respond to them. And uh, I, he, he placed one of the reels about this last part that I talked about is, you know, this fragrant offering to sacrifice to God. And someone made a comment and they said, Paul's a liar. That's not true. Which I thought was funny. You know, he's watching this reel and and they're calling me out on it. And I I just nicely texted him back and said, you're a liar. You're not true. Um, So, uh, no, I didn't do that. I promise I did not do that. But it's funny watching people's comments on these these different things. And Paul specifically talks about, about these. He makes these declarations as he opens his book. Why? Why does Paul do this? I mean, it's just not randomness. Paul does this because he's about to shift into this serious, challenging truths. He lays the foundation in verse 1 through 2 so that you and I would have a mind around and be able to fight as he talks about the battle in 3 through 13. So Paul's very mindful when he writes. The Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul is very mindful as he sets up this book. Is a perfect book. It is, it is complete. And that's why Paul speaks this way. Here's the foundation. 
Ephesians 5, that we said, be imitators of God. He's, he's saying, look, you, you stand on this. When you stand on this truth and you're an imitator of God, when you understand that you're a child of God, when you walk in this as a child of God, understanding that you, who you are, and you understand that Christ loved you, gave himself up for you, sacrificed for you, that you might do the same for others. He says, that's the fragrance. That's the offering to God. But then very quickly in verse 3, he shifts. And he says, but, so he lays this foundation of who we're to be, an understanding of who you are in Christ Jesus. And then he shifts, he says, but, Ephesians 5, 3 and 4, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, no crude jokes or joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He just, he, you know, he lays the foundation of who we're supposed to be, and then he, he, he di differentiates where you're not supposed to be. He says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Why? Because they're out of place. Have you ever been in a situation with a Christian that uh, all of a sudden, you know, you know they're a Christian, and you say, they say a Christian, you say you're a Christian, and they start telling a joke that's completely off color, and it's kind of awkward. Now, truth be told, <laughs> there's something about a hockey locker room. Now, I don't tell crude jokes. Mark, you know that. I've, I've, and that, that's not my thing. But, but coarse jesting making jokes about Mark and a, a goal that he missed or, or him making more jokes about me not passing the puck to him. And it's not usually, John, I'm so upset that you didn't pass me the puck today. <laughs> He's never said it like that. It's always, John, you blankety blank, like, give me the puck. The, the, they say of hockey players, there's, you know, you speak two languages. You speak English and you speak cursing. That doesn't make it right. I'm not justifying my sin. I, there's a little struggle there. But the Bible, Paul says very clearly, no foolish talk, no crude jokes. Let me ask you this one. How many of you use the Lord's name in vain and don't think twice about it? Look, look, if you have this, Paul says he lays the foundation. He says if you're in Christ, if you're a child of God, then... Then, then he says, then you imitate God. Don't curse him. That words matter. Words have, they carry weight. We're going to talk about this in our marriage thing this weekend. Words, the words you speak to your spouse, the words you speak to your children, the words you speak to others, the words that come out of your mouth that others are listening to that curse God. And we just kind of think it's, ah, JC, ah, GD. Oh, God, it grieves my heart when I hear it. Why? Because God is holy. Do you know what? I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Why doesn't anybody say Buddha, damn it? <laughs> and I, I joke about that at work, and you know, guys will say GD, and I go, Buddha, damn it. <laughs> you know why? Because Buddha doesn't carry a power in his name. God carries a power in his, there's power in the name of Jesus. Paul says, you know, 
let's just stay away from that. They're out of place. But he says, instead, be thankful. Look, replace that, that stuff with a thankfulness. Replace those thoughts when you're mad in a difficult time with a, a thankfulness. He said, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Luke 4, or 6, 40, 45 says this, a good person produces good things from the treasures of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things out of the treasures of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. It's not randomness. If you're putting crap in your heart, crap's coming out. If you're putting the word of God in your heart, the word of God is going to come forth. If you're putting Fox News in your heart, Fox News is coming forth. If you're putting CNBC in your heart, CNBC's coming forth. Out of the heart, of the abundance of the heart, a man speaks, a woman speaks. And God says, you know what, let's go to Thanksgiving. Then Paul pushes us into some really hard words and some, some deep theological truths. He just kind of right in your face here. Paul goes, okay, let's shift. I told you what the foundation is. I told you to walk out in Christ Jesus, to know you're a child of God, to trust and sacrifice as God tr trusts and sacrifice. Now let me shift here a little bit and give you something. He says this in Ephesians 5, 5 through 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says these two absolute just statements. He says... For you may be sure of this. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, well, maybe. He doesn't say, well, uh, you know, kind of. He doesn't say, you know, well, it's a coin flip. Who knows? I wonder if God's in a good mood today or a bad mood today. And if he's in a good mood, maybe it'll be good. And if he's in a bad mood, maybe it'll be bad. No, no, no. He says, you may be sure of this. And then he says that everyone, not some, but everyone, two absolute statements that Paul makes. He's not mincing words. He's making it very clear for us. What is Paul certain of? He's certain of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who's covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he's certain of this, that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's certain of this in his word. Now, unfortunately, in the church today, we're not so certain of this. We like gray areas. We like to think that, that God is this, this happy God in the, in the sky, that, that the Old Testament God doesn't judge our sin anymore, and, and you know, I can get away with this or get away with that, and, and because, uh, you know, uh, a judgment doesn't come immediately, God's not mad at my sin or whatever it might be. But Paul tells us very clearly that that's not true. In fact, he's certain that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So now what are you thinking? <laughs> Am I a son or daughter of disobedience? Good question. Paul is certain of this person's inheritance in the kingdom of God. He's certain that the sexual, sexually immoral and the covetous 
and what will happen to them. Let's, let's look at those two, two words, sexually immoral. The Greek word that you get for sexually immoral is porneia. You know where that leads to that word? Pornography. That's where we get the word pornography. Porneia. It means this, sexually immoral. What are you, what are you talking about? Oh, it's getting, it's getting crazy in here now. <laughs> it's going to get quiet real quick here. Uh, sexually immoral. What, what, in the Greek connotation and context, what does it mean? Fornicators. Sexual relationship between unmarried individuals. Let me, it doesn't say this in the Greek, but, but Jesus says this in Matthew 4. He says, those who even think that thought, those who have that thought in their mind, have committed adultery. So it, it, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Fornicators. Adultery. Sexual relationships involving a married person with someone other than their spouse. Prostitution. Engaging in facilitating sexual activities for payment. These all are under the word porneia, or the Greek word sexual immorality that Jesus is talking about. Homosexual acts include same-sex sexual relations. Incest. Sexual relations between close relatives. He, all these... All these words sit under sexual immorality. And some of you are going, shoo, I'm good. To which again, I say, check your eyes. Let's look at the history on your computer. And then let's talk about if you're good or not. He says covetousness or covetous or idolater. And you go, what covetousness? How is that one that, you know, that sends you right to hell? Covet it's this idolatry, giving your worship to anything other than God. See, it, idolatry is this, that, that, that you trust in something more than you trust in the creator of heaven and earth. Idolatry is this, that I try, I'm going to work so hard and I've got to get money and I've got to make this happen and I've got to get this job and I've got to do this because this is going to bring me happiness. This is going to bring me security. Not this, the creator of heaven and earth. Idolatry is this, I'm going to set this up over him, the creator of my soul. Idolatry is worshiping anything other than Jesus or the Father. See, the reality is this. When God created you and he created me, what the Bible says is he created us, created us to be worshipers. Like it or not, like it or not, you're worshiping. The question is, what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping your stuff? Are you worshiping your relationships? Are you, are you worshiping your house, your car? Are you worshiping sex? Are you worshiping power? Or are you worshiping the creator? Because don't be deceived. You are worshiping something. And it's, it's shown in our heart. Your desire for material possessions becomes an idol. Taking precedent over God in your heart, that's idolatry. And God wants all of us, every aspect of your life and mine, Paul makes two declarative statements in Ephesians 5, as, as we said, for you may be sure of this, that, and he says, every one. But, but there, it's an interesting but here, because when we look at the Bible, the Bible happens from Genesis to Revelation, from the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation. Here's where you and I get in trouble, when we go just to one scripture and we build the theology around it, and, and we, we start beating the hell out of people around something we read in one place, and we don't take the whole scripture into account and everything that is said. And that's where this but comes in. Because when we look at Galatians, Paul again speaking, he says this, 
Now the works of the flesh, remember what he said before, we set a foundation and Paul said, these people aren't inheriting the kingdom of God. But he says this in Galatians, and we've got to reconcile the two. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, there it is again, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Same sins. He basically, he, he rattles off the same, same sins he rattled off in Ephesians 5, but he adds a few to them. He adds idolatry, you know, rivalries, enmity, drunkenness, sorcery, division, strife, jealousy. He adds a few, and, and he says, and things like this. And when he says, and things like this, this is what he's saying. You know what I'm talking about. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, you know wrong and wrong. And he, and he adds all these things. But, but this is really interesting. He says, he, here he says something that's really important in verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those Words matter. Remember, we said words are very important. Gina knows that, teacher, English. Words matter. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, let's, let's think about that now. The key to our hope, if the key to our hope is this, we confess our sins, and God is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Someone who confesses their sin isn't someone who's practicing sin. I want to make it real clear. I want to differentiate between these two places Paul is speaking about immorality and, and sexual immorality and sin. Because if, if you're regularly confessing your sin, you're, you're probably not in the same category that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5. He says, but the one who walks in or practices, let, let, let's differentiate between the two. If you walk in sin, it's a lifestyle. It's a pattern. If you practice sin, it's a consistent and deliberate engagement in sinful behavior and a habitual lifestyle. Practicing and walking are very, very different than falling. See, falling is, is I didn't protect my heart. I didn't read my word today. I, I've been out of fellowship, and all of a sudden, someone comes by or something happens, and you, you fall into that sin. Still, sin needs to be confessed and repented of, but it's very different than the one who says, I'm going to get up this morning, and I am going to practice, or I'm going to walk in the lifestyle of an adulterer. In other words, I'm all right with the affair I'm having with that woman, with that man, or with that screen. That's someone who's practicing. It's someone who says, you know, uh, I'm going to find a way. Practicing is this. I practiced for 25 years in playing hockey. You need to get up and you do the same thing and you practice. It's scheduled. You know what you're going to do in practice for the most part. You know what time practice is. You know what it's going to take out of you when you practice hockey. You know that you know you're going to be tired in it. You know you're going to need water. You know all those things. When you practice at hockey, you know what's happening. When you practice sin, you know exactly what's going to happen. But you're still all right with it. Paul says those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who walk in that lifestyle, those who say, you know what? This is who I am. I'm going to walk in a lifestyle of homosexuality. Oh, perk some people up there. This is what the Word of God says. 
not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you. This, none of this is from me, just so you know. This is what Paul says, inspired by the Word of God. And when they, he and the Holy Spirit said homosexuality is a sin, whether I like it or not, it still is what it is. It's not not sin because you feel uncomfortable. Here's the problem with church. We're the church. You guys like to categorize. I like to categorize the sins that I think are gross or I don't like as extreme sins. And the sins that, 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 that I walk in, they're, they're not, you know, they're, 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 those, are, those are all right sins. And the Bible clearly says sin is sin. Period. Your sin, her sin, our sin. It separates us from God. But, but Paul is, is very clearly saying something to us here. He's saying, look at your life. If you're practicing your sin, if, if you're walking in it and fully embracing your sin, he says, those won't inherit the kingdom of God. To walk in and to practice are both characterized by two specific things, disobedient and an unrepented heart. Walking and practicing, it, it, it looks like this. I'm going to do what I want, God. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what, what makes me happy. I'm going to do what brings me pleasure. I'm not going to repent for being me because that's just who I am. And in fact, God, you created me that way. You ever heard that one? I have a, a, a regular wrestling with some, some men that I love, and it's, it's this. God never meant us to be with just one woman. We're to just experience, I get it, but God never meant for us to not be able to control ourselves as men, to submit ourselves, well, control, let me, let's be real careful that, to submit myself to the authority of God's word, because I can't control myself any better than you can, you may think you can, but when I submit, that's what Paul said, that fragrance, when I submit myself to the authority of God's word and I, I live under the authority of God's word and the truth of God's word, then I'm submitted to what he says, to love one woman by the grace of God for my whole life. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of what the world says to me, regardless of any of those things, I submit my feelings to this word and when I submit my feelings to the word and the truth of God's word. I walk in the fullness of what God calls me to, and I'm blessed. See, we're going to talk about this this weekend. You're going to miss, I'm going to give you a little, a little peek into this weekend and what you're going to miss if you're not there. Love is a choice. It's not an emotion. Everybody thinks love is a choice. Oh, I fell in love. Oh, I fell out of love. Oh, I fell in love. No, 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 no. You choose to love. And when you choose to love the one that God has called you to walk with, the emotions, this is what God does, and it's wonderful. He brings emotions behind it. But when you lead with your emotions, you fall in and out and in and out and in and out of love. I guarantee you, that Chris doesn't wake up every morning and go, oh, he's so beautiful. <laughs> I think she should. I guarantee you she doesn't wake up and go, oh, his breath is so wonderful. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you she doesn't wake up and go, oh, when he rubs his belly like that, it's so sexy. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. She makes a choice. 
And then God brings the emotions behind it. Someone who practices sin makes a choice. And then you know what happens? Their emotions come in behind it, and they start justifying, and they start rationalizing, and they start saying, uh, you know what? God made me this way. No, brokenness brought you to this place, just like it brought all of us here. Now I make a choice to stand on the truth of God's word, to be who God has called me to be. Walking in and to practice are very different. Walking in is disobedience, to practice is unrepented heart. Why is this so important? Why is this, why am I kind of feel like I'm belaboring this point? The reason I am is because many of us struggle with these sins. And it may not be in that list. Maybe it's not one of those things. Maybe it's with comparison. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's stealing. I, I don't know. Pick any one of the sins. But I do know this. We struggle with sins. And, and the last thing that Paul wants, and the last thing that Jesus wants, is for you to read this word and this condemnation, this weight come down on you, and you walk out of here just like, I can never do this. And then you go back into what you're doing because you can't live up to what this word says. See, the reality is this. God's not calling you to live up to what this word says. He's calling the Holy Spirit that lives in me to come out of me as I submit myself to him that I might live as this word says. Big difference. I can't do it. We struggle. The Bible acknowledges that believers struggle with sin. But the Bible also provides a plan to overcome that sin. It gives guidance and encouragement and hope. If there's something you're struggling with today, if there's a sin, if there's a secret sin, or maybe it's not a secret, if there's a sin that, that you wrestle with today, I'm telling you the hope is in this word because the word can deliver you. And I want to show you what it looks like. The Bible gives us hope, but you and I have a role to play in that fight. You can't just say, oh, God, deliver me, and then expect it all to be gone. I've seen it before. I've seen that miracle before. But, but 99 out of 100 times, it looks like this. Okay, you want me to deliver you? Get deep in this word. Allow this word to wash over. Let me, let me show you what it looks like. Number one, it looks like this. You have to understand that we're all in a struggle. Now, this is Paul again speaking. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote about a third of the New Testament. Okay? He, he's talking. I love this because then all of a sudden I feel like not such an idiot. He says this, for I do not understand my own actions. You ever thought that? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You ever felt that? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what is good, or do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. You ever felt like that? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That's a lot of words do. I don't. Here's what he's saying. You can't win this fight on your own. Stop trying. 
That's my synopsis of what Paul just said. Paul, the apostle, the great apostle, is struggling in his flesh that there's things. He knows what he wants to do, but, but, but he does what he doesn't want to do and doesn't do what he wants to do. And he says, the only way I can do what I'm supposed to do is not walk under the law that says, do not do it, but walk under the spirit that gives me the power to overcome. Big difference. You can't win the fight on your own. You have to stop trying. Number two, you have to acknowledge the role of the Holy Spirit. You have to, you, you've got to acknowledge the role of the Holy Spirit. That, that this Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Look, if you, as Paul said earlier, if you lay down your life and sacrifice, if you give your heart to Jesus daily, if you walk in the renewing of your mind, as this word says, what will happen is you'll walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. I have to acknowledge in my life each and every day, Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that lives in me. I've got to acknowledge, I need you today. I can't do this today. I can't love her the way I'm supposed to love her today without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't pastor the way God's called me to without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't be the friend that God's called me to be without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't overcome those fears, those addictions, those those what depression, whatever it is without the power of the Holy Spirit. It can't be done. I can't do it. So I acknowledge the role of the Holy Spirit in my life. My helper. Number three, we have to acknowledge the work of the cross. I've got to acknowledge what Jesus did. See, because either what he did is true and the power that comes forth from it is true or it's not. And if it's not what the hell are we doing? Don't waste your time here. Maybe come get a donut and leave. But don't sit in here and listen to all this stuff if that's not true. I believe it with all my heart. Romans 6, 6 through 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You don't have to be enslaved to your sin. The Bible tells me I don't have to be enslaved to my sin. I don't have to walk in that because of what Jesus did on the cross. He nailed it to a cross. The one who has died has been set free from sin. When I die to myself, when I die to who I am, that I don't have to live in this sin. The problem is, I just don't like dying. It hurts. See, but the beauty of death in Christ is the resurrection. If I'm willing to die to who I am, if I'm willing to wake up and go, okay, God, I quit today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to myself. I'm going to die to my words. I'm going to die to my wants, my desires, and my idols. I'm going to die. God, I need you. And I allow the power of the Holy Spirit to resurrect me each and every day. I'm a changed man. It's hard. I don't always do it because I get in the way. But I've got to acknowledge what Christ did on the cross and stop listening to the lies of the enemy that says you'll never get out of that sin. No, 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 no. He buried him at the cross. He nailed him to the cross. I don't have to live in that sin. 
Number four, we need to confess and ask for forgiveness daily. We need to walk in this position of humility of, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. Not just at dinner, not just at breakfast, not just at lunch, but every day throughout the day, there's this, this conversation that's being had with, with, with the Father when, when I need to have the conversation with the Father. If we confess, with our, confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to forgive our sins. I can walk in the freedom of the, of the cross when I, when I ask forgiveness, when I repent. I don't have to carry it with me. Number five, through the power, power of the Holy Spirit, we can resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You want to know how you, you, you know, you go, okay, I'm going to walk out these doors and then it's going to hit me. Whatever it is, it's going to hit me. It's going to hit me. The Bible says you can resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, there's nothing that Jesus hadn't seen when he walked this earth. There's nothing that another man or woman hasn't experienced that has walked this earth. There's nothing new under the sun. Sin is sin. Temptation is temptation. We all deal with it. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. He'll give you an out. You know what the problem is? A lot of times we don't like the outs. We like our sins more than we like the outs. And he says, you'll be able to endure it if you have the eyes to see the out. Number six, we have to choose to renew our minds. We have to choose to renew our minds. We have to choose to to be in this word on a daily basis. We have to choose to grab a key scripture and to chew on it and let it, let it wash over our mind. You're dealing with, with, um, uh, with comparison, you know, get a scripture that, that speaks to comparison. You're dealing with lust, get a scripture that speaks to lust. You're dealing with lying, get a scripture that deals with lying. You're dealing with whatever it is, there's a scripture that you can grab a hold of and you just wash your mind and wash your mind. The other thing though, part of, of washing your mind is this. You can't just wash your mind and then go right to the, the television or the radio and watch the other stuff. You, you, you've got to, you know, it's not 50-50. You don't get to watch whatever that stuff is on TV and then renew your mind and think that, oh, the, the universe will balance it out. No, there's a discipline. There's a dying to yourself and some of the stuff that you're watching and listening to, you just need to turn it off. Turn it off. Thank you. <laughs> Number seven, we have to choose not to walk alone. This is a hard one because you guys don't like anybody up in your business. I love it. I love when you guys come and tell me what a jerk I am. I'm kidding. Nobody likes it. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who loves you, that will stand beside you. When you text or call, goes, okay, let's go. Let's battle right now. Let's, let's, let's fight this thing. Someone will keep you accountable. Someone will walk with you. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Gosh, the prayer of righteous person has great power as it is working. You need to walk with someone. There needs to be someone in your life that you're accountable to, that you walk with. Jesus sent him out in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, and he sent him out by twos because he knew if one fell, the other would pull him up. And if the other fell, they would pull him up. He knew that if you walk together, if you're, you're bound together with another that loves you, they'll keep you, they'll, they'll, they'll inspire you, they'll, 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 they'll be there for you. 
We're talking about fighting for our families. We're talking about fighting for our marriages. Don't get sucked into the pattern that the enemy wants, which is isolation. Invite us into it, not so we can laugh and joke and tell you you're an idiot, but so that we can humbly pray with you. So we can stand with you. You can't do it alone. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. God has call, if God has called you to this church, he's called you to walk with the men and women in this church. If he's called you to walk with the men and women in this church, he's called you to, 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 to have this time of just, okay, I need help here. Intimacy. Number eight. I've only got 12 more, so hang in there. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Through the power. <laughs> you like that one, Rick? <laughs> Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we persevere and grace abounds. The only way I overcome is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not me. I do not have the strength. I might for a moment, but I, do, I can't sustain it. It's only through perseverance and the grace that grace abounds. It's only through this word. It's only through submitting myself to the creator, the one who created me. This sounds crazy. The one who knows me intimately, who made me, who knows every aspect of my life, every thought. In fact, it says of me that his thoughts for me in Psalm 139 are as numerous as the sand of the sea. We talk about it all the time. That's the one. That is the one that I persevere with and where grace abounds. Walking with God. In relationship. Huh. I, I, I don't give a rip about religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about do's and don'ts. I'm not talking about, you know, 10 Hail Marys or 10 yeses or this or that. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. You can throw all that out the window. What I'm talking about is the man of Jesus who I encountered that changed my life. And now walking with him. That's a relationship. That's what God wants. The Father wants a relationship with you. And he's given us provisions to do this thing this, in this crappy place called life. I am so thankful that God gave us a provision. What did Paul say? I said crappy. He said say thankful. I'm thankful for the men that God has placed in my life. I'm thankful for the woman that God placed in my life. I'm thankful for the people that put up and come to this church every week. I tried to suck you in with donuts, but you stay. That's great. I'm thankful for God's grace for men that I walk with. I'm thankful for his son, Jesus. Paul finishes up, and, and, and he gives this little wake-up call. He gives, us, he gives us verse 14 as a warning to verse 5. Verse 14 is, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 5, you know, is where he said, Hey, none of these people are going to inherit the kingdom of God. So in 14 he says, Wake up! Wake up! Look, some of us are spiritually asleep right now. Some of you are literally asleep, but we're trying. Some of us are, are spiritually just out of it right now. But he says, hey, hey, but with anything, he says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, and anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, that Christ will shine in you. Here's what we, we, where we're deceived, and we're deceived here. Our sin hasn't been exposed. 
He says the light will, will shine. And for many of us, we're deceived into thinking we're doing all right because that little sin that we have hasn't been brought to light. But here's the dangerous this. You think you're good, yet, in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, each of us, whatever it is you're going through, you'll stand before God and give an account unless you repent. See, I love that part, unless you repent. Because the Bible says this, when you repent, it says in Isaiah that God takes your sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west. That's infinity, because as far as the east is from the west. And it says this, that God remembers it no more. That sin completely wiped away. And in fact, when I'm the idiot that goes, oh God, I feel so bad again about that sin, he goes, what are you talking about? The creator of heaven and earth goes, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And I go, oh, I shouldn't have done it. He goes, what are you talking about? The Bible says he remembers it no more. The beauty of salvation, the beauty of, of, of the, the blood of Jesus that wash away my sin is I don't have to carry that guilt. But be assured of this. If I haven't, I'll stand before God and give an account. So Paul says, wake up. Wake up, church. Wake up, O oh sleeper. This is a call to those who are spiritually unaware. You cannot have sat through this message if you listened to at least half of it and not be aware. He says those who are spiritually unaware, indifferent, or complacent to awake from their spiritual sleep. And my call to many of us today is wake up from your spiritual nap. And allow God to do what he wants to do in your life. Don't get caught in that napping place, because you'll miss the goodness of God. And then you'll stand before God and you go, oh, I don't know what happened. And he'll say, well, let me show you what happened. He says, rise from the dead. And this, this call to rise from the dead implies a transformation from a, from a spiritual death into life, that you're spiritually dead, that there's no fruit that's coming forth from your life, that what you say and what you do do not work. They don't come together. When you say you're a Christian, your life looks nothing like it. You're spiritually dead. And Paul says, wake up to what I have for you. I, I love Paul's wake up because it's not, wake up, you idiot. It's like, wake up. God has so much more for you. Wake up. You don't have to walk in that guilt and that condemnation. Wake up. You don't have to deal with that because I nailed it to the cross. Some of us need to rise from the dead spiritually this morning. Last, he says, Christ will shine on you. The promise here is that when one responds to the call, when you wake up and rise, the light of God will shine right on you. And that grace will go forth. And you'll start to see God's grace just go forth in your life. And you'll start to see marriages healed. And you'll start to see children relationships healed. You'll start to see God move in miraculous ways that you could never have imagined. You'll start to see faith go forth. You'll start to see hope come forth from you. You'll see the light of God shine on you. And you'll be a different person. That's what this Bible says. It's alive and active. God wants to change us. Our scripture this year is from Deuteronomy. 
We have it on the wall over here. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. And in and, 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 and this scripture, the antidote to sleep, we would say, Paul said, wake up. The antidote to sleeping is what it says here. It says, remember, remember. It says, write it down. Keep it in front of you. Look at it. See it. Experience it. These words that I give you today that come forth from this word, write it down. Put it in your car. Take it with you. Write it on your hand. Speak it into a tape player. Listen to it. on the, It's like just keep it and remember it. Remember it. Write it down. Experience it. So that God's grace might flow. That's what Moses was saying some 6,000 years ago, what, what Paul was saying some 2,000 years ago, and what preachers need to be saying today. It's the same. God's grace is good. God's grace is good. But some of us just need to wake up. What I love about um, God's word and communion as the music team starts to come up, I want to pray, but what I love about the time that we spend in communion is that uh, we take these words that we just heard and we sit and we reflect for a moment and then we receive the bread that represented Christ's body. And, and what he said when you receive it, he says, you take this bread and you eat it and you do this in remembrance of me. Remember my brokenness for you. Remember the beating I took for you. Remember my life and who you are in Christ Jesus. And then he, and then he says this. He takes the, the wine that represented his blood, and, and he says, when you receive this, it washes away your sins. Excuse me. It's a picture of washing away your sins. What washes away your sins is what Christ did on the cross and you asking forgiveness. But, but what he's saying is, before you come and receive the elements, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you come up and receive these elements. But before you receive these elements, examine your heart. And for some of us, it's time to wake up. And that prayer looks like this. Oh, God, waken my soul. Awaken my soul to you. Uh, actually, it starts like this. Oh, God, forgive me for going to sleep. God, forgive me for sleeping when my family needed me. Forgive me for sleeping when my children need me. Forgive me for sleeping when, when the, my office, my neighbors, when, when I had this opportunity to bring hope into a hopeless place. Oh, God, forgive me. And then we receive the elements. It's washed away. But we walk out of here and we renew our mind. We stay connected to the Holy Spirit and we acknowledge Him. And then when we encounter those who don't have hope, we bring hope. That's the church. Showing up here on Sunday, that's not the church. We're just celebrating. I'm hoping to give you some words. We're just kind of reshifting to get ready for the week. But when you walk out of this building, church starts. Church starts. So as they get ready to play this song, a couple things. One, we have communion stations in the front and the back, and I want you to come and receive. But two, I want you to examine your heart before you receive. But three, and this is important, 
there's a moment that's going on. And, and, and we need to, as Christians, be able to recognize moments. What does that mean? It means this. There's some people in here that God's just dealing with their soul and their heart. And, and after you receive communion, it's not time to just uh, start laughing with your friends, talking. It, there's a holy moment that is taking place right now. And we as Christians need to be able to recognize that. And when we're done worshiping, uh, donuts for everyone. All right, great. But I, I want you to feel the weight of what God's doing. It may not be in you, but maybe it's in someone next to you. And maybe your prayer needs to be for them or for some loved ones. But stay in this place. It's holy. It's good. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your son that gives us life. The Bible said he set his face as flint to Jerusalem, determined to pay the price for my sins, for your sins. But it says in the night he was betrayed, before he went to the cross, he says he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's been given to you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he, he took the cup that was full of wine. And, and he said, this, is, this represents my blood. He said, when you come together and, and remember that this blood was spilled for you. And God, as we examine our hearts right now, God, I pray for those who are asleep spiritually right now that you'd wake them up, God. I pray for those who have just kind of been eh, napping a little bit in and out of this, and God, you'd wake them up. God, that you'd awaken my soul to, to you and what you're doing each and every day. God, that we might bring hope to the hopeless. God, in this crazy world, in these crazy elections, and these crazy politics, and, and, and just crazy life, and crazy political correctness, and crazy everything, fill in the blank, God, that, that we would bring the hope of your scriptures. God, use us. God, use us. Oh, Holy Spirit, direct and guide us. In Jesus' precious name.